everybody. Welcome to another edition of Courtside with Bielenson Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We have with us back in his home state, fresh off the plane from London, where he witnessed an incredible match yesterday between Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic. Please welcome back in my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. As you know, Steve, we will cover both finals. One I would classify as a little disheartening, and the second I would classify as absolutely enticing, and we will get into both. Steve, initial thoughts. You're still awake. I know you got the jet lag uh, kicking in soon, so we want to get this in uh, early. Yeah, I think that initial thoughts. I mean, I think it was a very suspenseful, gripping men's final because there were so many fluctuations of fortune. Let's just start with the first set where Djokovic is down break point in the opening game in a little danger there, as he had been in the opening game of a semifinal against Sinner, but he gets out of it. The next thing you know, he's up five love. He completely picked Carlos Alcaraz apart. Alcaraz was a little, was a little overly adventuresome and he overcooked a lot of forehands and he just, you could tell he was pressing and, and uh, a, a bit nervous. And Novak was letter perfect. The depth on every return within, a foot or two of the baseline. It was just phenomenal display on his part. So you thought you knew how critical the second set would be. Okay. Before we get to that second set, I want to tell you about a tweet that I threw out there after sure. the first set, because I was getting some texts from friends and I saw on social media, I was like, Oh boy, six, one. We were all so excited about this. This may be, you know, one way traffic. And I threw out the tweet for those that choose to turn off the TV do so at your own peril because I think the match starts right now. And um, as we saw, Carlos holds the first game of the second set. Now, again, on that first set, it wasn't like the first two sets in Roland Garros where there was so much physicality. The first set of Wimbledon, Novak just rolled him. I mean, it wasn't no, like did, Carlos had expended a ton of energy. It was not like that at all. Yeah, well, we're on grass versus clay. Inevitably, the rallies were not going to be as long. And plus, he was just very sharp. And Carlos was going for it earlier in points, too, and missing. Yeah. So uh, that's that's why. But you're absolutely right. Not as taxing. The, the rallies were better at Roland Garros, frankly. But Djokovic was was terrific. And, and uh, yeah, I can see why you said that at the beginning of the second set. And yet, there was big pressure on Carlos because he knew how how crucial the second set would be and uh, they, they both did because Djokovic wants to blow it open he knows if he can get to two sets to love he's going to be unstoppable and Carlos is is determined to get his teeth into this match and he immediately broke Novak got up to love Novak gets it right back even though Carlos had a game points so and now we're on serve the rest of the way after those second and third games with the service breaks they both held there were some tough games that the they held, it was, the set ended up lasting about 90 minutes. It was, it was remarkable. And then we go to the tie break and we all know Novak had won 15 in a row at the majors. And he even talked about it after his semifinal when he closed out center in a tie break about how he knew, he knew his opponents were aware it was helping him. And it was also a boost to him that his opponents were, were very cognizant of what he was doing in these tie breaks. So sure enough, Djokovic, out to a three-love lead in that tie break. Carlos made a back in down the line there along, and then Novak hit two unreturnable first serves, which was not easy against Carlos that, uh, that day, but he, he managed it. 
for 311. You thought he was going to close it. I mean, that early lead usually is enough for him. But Carlos then won both his service points, and Novak threw in probably an ill-advised drop shot into the net. So it's three all, and but Djokovic didn't concede another service point after that on his way to a 6-5 lead. Yes. Carlos is serving at 5-6. Djokovic makes a really good first serve return, and Carlos answers with a, a, a deep backhand, but not hard hit. Plenty of time for Novak to, with his perfect, uh, that impeccable uh, preparation to turn those shoulders and get ready to hit the cross-court backhand. And the next thing you know, he's hit it into the net tape. And he was astounded that he had missed that shot. He spoke about it afterwards. He said, Carlos hit a shot that was long, meaning long in the court, not out, but meaning he had a a lot of length on the shot. But he said, and he said, I got it. He thought it was a slightly irregular bounce, but he said, no way should he have missed the shot. And he, so he's very disappointed changing ends, having squandered the set point on that. And what does he do on the next point? Gets into another rally and misses another, an easier backhand into the net and then loses the set when he tries to serve in volley. And Carlos hit a beautiful down the line backhand return winner. So just like that, from 6-5 set point for Djokovic, it's Alcaraz, 8-6 in the breaker. And instead of being two sets to love Djokovic, and, and it, it, which would have been probably an insurmountable lead, it's now a set all. It's a brand new match. And Carlos, and Carlos echoed your thoughts. He said if Novak won that second set tiebreaker, it would have been really, really tough for me to win that match, obviously. Um, yeah. A couple of things that we had not seen previously in Novak's incredible runs uh, in 15 and 0 in tie breaks in, in grand slams, you, you referred to two, I counted three, you referred to two, uh, neutral rally backhand misses at five, six, when he had the set point in at six, six, he missed an earlier one, another backhand, uh, earlier in the tie break two, three, no, you know, no, unforced errors that you just never David, see that's... from Novak in that type of circumstance. No, that's what I was talking about when I said he hit an ill-advised drop shot. That was the other backhand miss was a backhand drop. So I did mention that. And that that was surprising. It was not a good choice. You could see that Carlos was onto it, by the way, that even if it had gone over, Carlos was in a good position to chase it down and win the point. And so, Steve, we talk about we talk about Novak's streaks of 15 and 0 and tiebreakers. We're, we we didn't even mention the streaks of not having an unforced error in tiebreakers. He had a crazy streak with zero unforced errors for a while well, there. That, um, all right. That, that's true. In Paris, he did with 55 points and none. He made a few unforced errors in, during maybe four or five total, possibly in the in the in the Wimbledon tiebreaks. But but just seeing him in the second in the final in the second set, missing some yeah. neutral ball rallies that you know he's so solid in well, tiebreakers. That was that was disappointing to him. Yes, absolutely. And he was very disappointed in himself, very very upset with himself, and didn't understand it. It came out of nowhere. And when he missed the second one, he looked up at Ivan Isovich and as if to say, what in the world is going on here? How did I do that? Not trying to blame Goran, but just furious with himself. And so that, that's just so on the, I think if you gave him those two points to play over, particularly the first one, when he's at set point and trying to close it out, he wouldn't have missed that back. End. He, he could have hit, played that point a thousand more times and not missed that shot. I agree. I agree. And, he's just and, so and, solid in those most important points and, of matches. Oh, yeah. And probably gone on to win that point, I suspect, given because he that's when he gets into the lockdown mode and he's just going to keep getting every ball back deep. And and there was tremendous pressure on Carlos if that if, if, if Novak does that. So. All right. So then 
we go to the set three, David, and you could see early on, right off in the first game, that Djokovic was not in a good state of mind. He was missing some really, making some more errors, and he was, it was clear in his expression and his demeanor that he was a very unhappy man, understandably. It's just that usually he can recover better than that. It, but this was so, excuse me, it was so glaring, David, the, the errors that he made and the importance of those points that I think he was replaying it in his mind, I think. And, and I really believe that would put him in the one three hole. And then they had a 13 deuce game at one, with Novak serving at one three, 27 minutes, 13 deuces. He loses that game. Steve, having- I know someone who wasn't watching it live. They were looking on their phone. They thought it must have rained and they closed the roof because the live scoring did not change for so long. Yeah. Incredible. That's funny. That's very amusing. No. So then that, once that happened, Djokovic quickly, he only won a few more points the rest of the set. He quickly dropped the set from there. I think he, at that point, being two breaks down, he wanted to get it over with. So it was no big deal when he's serving at one five saying, I've had it with this set. And then he took a bathroom break. He comes back and he, he had Carlos Love 30, but then he had to get out of 1540 himself, and he did it. But then finally for 3-2 in the fifth game, he breaks Carlos. And that, re- and, and that really seemed to propel him. And he serves his way to a 5-3 lead and then breaks Carlos again, who serves two, two double faults, two. I that- thought that last game was important for Carlos because you, you want you want to start, if you can, start serving first in the yes. fifth set and for him to get broken a second time the last game of that set now you're going to always be playing behind if people are obvious if, if both know if Novak is holding serve you're always going to be a game behind so you really want to try to buckle down and at least hold that last service game in the four set if Novak serves it out fine you at least start serving in the fifth that did not happen absolutely, absolutely right but for some reason Carla I think Carlos frankly was getting physically and mentally weary at the end of that four set. And that may have caused the doubles and he, his focus was gone. And he, he looked to me like he was very depleted. And I, and then he made a little move on Djokovic's serve in the first game of the fifth, but Djokovic got held on from break point down and then came the next most critical point of the match. The because, 30, 40 point. Yeah. And it, Djokovic opened up the court beautifully. He pulled uh, Carlos wide on the forehand, then hit the cross court back in with plenty of margin, but made Carlos cover a lot of court. Carlos, then Novak came in on a perfect forehand down the line approach, probably the best approach he made the whole match. Because there were times he came in, David, I thought with too much topspin and it just gave, uh, it gave Carlos too much time to set up the pass. This was perfect. All Carlos could do was throw up a lob. He didn't put it up very high. So Djokovic, who was hes- a bit hesitant on his overhead anyway, decided he's going to play it as a, a swing volley, a drive volley. Well, you and- look at the replay several times now, Steve, and it looks like Novak hesitated a little bit whether he was going to let it bounce. He didn't know if it was going to go in. He did. He, he did. did. Maybe it was an overhead versus swinging volley. He looks like he hesitates, and he missed that swinging volley by quite a bit. Well, he hit it in the net tape. I, well, it, it, it was. It, 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 oh, it, did he, it, I didn't. I didn't think he did hit it in the net tape. But I yeah, thought, I, thought it, I watched it again, and I it, thought it was pretty, lower than that. But I'll, I'll I'll revisit it. Yeah, pretty. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is what I would say is he wasn't. I don't think he was ever going to let it drop and hit a ground stroke. It the, the real decision was not like bounce it and hit an overhead. I was into. Yeah, and and I don't blame him for. One of my friends felt that he should have gone in for the overhead. A couple of them thought so. I don't blame him for going swing volley, but I would have rather seen him 
really tee off. I mean, maybe it's dangerous to go cross court, uh, but there's also a lot more margin on your shot. And if you hit it hard enough and well enough, Carlos, even Carlos, as quick as he is, is not going to get to it. But he couldn't resist going down the line because he, he saw Carlos moving. So he thought anything good down the line going behind him was going to work. And it, it would have. It would have. But that was so crucial. He looked at his corner again, David, after that point. And I remember sitting there looking at him from our vantage point in the center court, watching him staring up at it again. Like he could not believe that he hadn't converted there. Now, if he converts there, after all the tri trials and tribulations of not taking the two-set lead, he, there he would be at two-love in the fifth, feeling very good about his chance. And I don't but, think Novak relinquishes that lead. 2-0 in no. the fifth of a Wimbledon final. No. I think I think he he goes on and, and wins his eighth Wimbledon final. Yeah, that oh, being I, said... That did totally not agree. happen, and Carlos had a huge hold in that game. Oh, yeah, and then he proceeds to play a very good game to break Djokovic. At 30-all, Novak bird off the forehand. It was one of those returns that Carlos was making where he was just basically blocking or, or guiding his returns down the middle of the court as deep as he could and giving Novak no pace. It was an interesting combination, that with his explosive ground strokes, that sometimes just trying to slow it down and make Novak come up with something so he did that at 30 all and Novak kind of reached for the forehand he didn't time it well he didn't get up to it well and that put him down break point and then he, Novak slipped on the next point but then managed to make an approach and Carlos passed him clean so suddenly it's 2-1 and that's when Novak smacked his racket into the net post he was so frustrated because where was he, your vantage point with that where were your seats compared to where 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 the match was being played and, and where were you when you when you saw his frustration yeah, well, we were the opposite end from the Royal Box. So, you know, but we had a good view of the umpire's chair. You could see it uh, very well. We're behind the court also. And I understood his frustration because he's thinking as he's going to the chair, I should be up a break and I'm down a break. And, he, and that made him even angrier about having blown the opportunity for two love. Now, let me say this about the rest of the set. Be that as it may, no doubt in my mind that Djokovic should have broken. He should have made the swing volley. And he should have had the break. He played that point perfectly. He gets the break. He wins the match. We're in accord. But from that juncture on, suddenly Carlos was a revitalized figure. And the way he played the rest of the way was spectacular. I give him completely full marks because he served so brilliantly. Closing games out with aces. He just wasn't giving Novak a chance. But if, See, but let, me, let me talk about that. I, I, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on that because throughout the fifth set, with the exception of the last game, the last game he played, he served six points and he made six first serves. Me watching it, I thought he was not getting a lot of his first serves in, but his second serve was so effective. That was saving him. And then when he served for the championship, Man, did he raise it in all six points that he Oh, yeah, no, he did. Serve. Oh, his second serve was very good. It was very good. But he had his energy back. He had his, he had his, it, it, that made a big difference. Suddenly he was like the Carlos of the, of the second and third sets again. And it's almost he, like you have a second life. I mean, you're one shot did. away from being down a break 2-0 yeah. in the fifth, and it's almost lights out. And now. We're, talk we're talking about a four-hour, 42-minute match. So I was impressed that Carlos found that extra verb found that inspiration because he just wouldn't really and Novak was not returning badly but he just served far too well uh Carlos first and second serves and then the the match game that you mentioned was just remarkable because despite all those first serves Novak managed to get it back to 30 all 
Well, the first point, Carlos, I think, executed it perfectly, missed the drop shot. And then the second the point, he yeah. went back to the drop shot and won the Made point. It. With it. Yeah. And, and by the way, that was a difference because earlier in the match, Novak, I, I think that was the only area where he physically wasn't, didn't, I mean, I, he still had, he still had a lot of uh, in reserve, but he had decided at that point, he was not going to chase those drop shots. He earlier in the first two, three sets, he got to a lot of them impressively. He read some of them and he'd scamper forward and make a pretty good approach. And he won his fair share of points off the Alcaraz drop shot, which was impressive to me. But by that stage in the match game, he wasn't going to chase that. And Carlos hit a perfect one the second time after missing the first one. Then he made an incredible backhand volley lunging off a backhand pass from Novak cross court that was hit well. So, and, 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 and then, you know, a couple more first serves and it's over. And I, I just think, that was also impressive because Carlos talked, David, about how hard it is to close out big matches. After, because in the Medvedev match in the semis, he lost the serve twice in the third set from a breakup, and he hadn't lost it the whole match. And he said afterwards, it, you know, closing out these matches is very tough. But he showed no signs of frailty against Djokovic, which is remarkable that it, that it wouldn't hit him then. It just didn't hit him at all. He served it out as if, he was playing a, a match in the park against one of his buddies back in Barcelona. And there, and there was nothing more riding on the outcome than bragging rights. This is a Wimbledon final, his very first one. This is his second Grand Slam final. He's and playing he hasn't a, won the French Open. If I told you two years ago he'd win Wimbledon before Roland Garros, you'd look yeah. at me like I was crazy. But, you know, he had surprised. This all happened so fast, as he said later. He wins Queen's Club after Roland Garros. That was unexpected, but not shocking. So, but that gave him a lot of confidence. Then he had some struggles during Wimbledon and Nicholas Jerry gave him what took him to seven, five in the fourth and probably should have been in a fifth set because he almost went up two breaks in the fourth. And then he was down a set to Berrettini and he came back strong. So he had a few struggles, but this all happened so quickly. And for him to suddenly find himself sitting at the changeover at five, four in the fifth against Novak Djokovic after this tumultuous match, and, and have the, the poise and the perspicacity to go out there and serve the match out in that fan. Novak, that was the first thing Novak mentioned in the presentation ceremony. I made you serve it out, and he lauded him for doing such a great job. And by six the way, I would six, say, first add, six for I, six first serves. I just want to add to that, David, that uh, Djokovic's uh, sportsmanship afterwards, again, in the presentation ceremony, was just outstanding. And I mean, Carlos was maybe not quite as good. Carlos was fine, but, you know, he's much newer to these. He's young. I think he was in shock. He didn't know he what was, was going on. Yeah. Yeah. He, but he did fine. But Djokovic, it was a shining moment for him, I thought, because he, you know, he acknowledged how disappointed he was. He started losing it a bit when he talked about his son being able to smile. And he, and he referred to the 2019 final with Roger, yeah, how he was down he two match points. Well, that was a good, healthy way for him to look at it, to try to say, yeah, but I've won a few of these that maybe I shouldn't have won. So today I think I should have won and I lost. It was a very good philosophical approach to it all yeah. and healthy, I think. But he was... Despite his disappointment, he really lauded Carlos, as he did in the press conference as well. What I'm hoping comes out of this, David, is because somebody asked him about it, and he joked about how, yeah, rivalry, but he doesn't know how much longer he's going to be around. But he'll be around, in my view, at least. I'd be really surprised if he didn't play through 2025. After that, I don't know. But I see him absolutely through next year and probably through 25. So in that span... 
in that span, I'm hoping that's when we get this rivalry between these two. hundred percent, Steve. Uh, and I hope they play in the finals in New York. And, and to, yeah. to reiterate your point, I think Carlos is going to motivate Novak for the next couple of oh, years. Yeah. Um, the killer, right. the, the killer and Novak has spoken about getting all the records. And I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, Cause I think it's slipping because every year it's going to get harder. You know how difficult it is to win the two, the first two slams of the year. Novak was a clear favorite to win the third slam of the year this yeah. year. That calendar grand slam, he's had it one match away in 2021. He put himself in a great, great position in 2023. He was heavily favored to win this tournament. Has that slipped? I mean, he's got a small window, like you said, maybe one or maybe two years left to try that. Has that gone by the wayside? Or I you think no, I'm surprised at this opportunity. I think it's a magnificent achievement that he did do it. And and it's still an incredible year when you look at somebody. I'm sorry, I didn't hear your answer. I want the listeners to hear the answer. Do you think it slipped through the wayside, or do you think he's still? No, I do. I do think it slipped through the wayside because I I think it's remarkable that he got to this halfway point for the second time in three years. The the odds on that were very slim. And And in 2021, he was 27 out of 28 in Grand Slam matches. That's insane. Insane. Yeah, and you know, got got within that one match, and unfortunately, he just kind of froze. He was really. very apprehensive in the in the Medvedev match and just so you, so, ever, so you don't see them you don't see him getting in a position to to really know somewhat close to them in the next two years no but but I think by the way just to get back to this match I think that also was why it was so doubly painful that he knew had he won it it was going to take him to New York with a chance for the Grand Slam and then a good chance he might pull it off now I would add this I think not when he's able to reflect a little bit and realize it got away, he'll, he'll leave his disappointment behind him. And now he will go to New York more thinking more along the lines of, look, I've won the U S open three times, but I've lost six finals there too. That's crazy for me. I owe it to myself to win another U S open. And oh I'm, no. I think his determination will be as strong as ever. Yeah. I think the disappointment but also, is that he may have seen the calendar slam. I'll ask you this question. I asked the David, friend this. David, I don't know if it'll either happen, but I'll ask you this. Do you think who has a better chance of winning a calendar slam in the next two years, Novak Djokovic or Carlos Alcaraz? I don't think either will do it, but who has a better chance in the next two years? Uh, That's hard to say. I I don't see it for Carlos that soon. If Carlos is ever going to do it, I think I, I see it being more likely that even more mature as he is now, which is hard to imagine, by the way, because what 20-year-old is plays with the maturity that he does and carries himself that way. But I would see it more likely for Carlos to give himself a shot when he's 24, 25, not, not in the next two years. So I guess I would still say Djokovic, but slim, very slim. slim. And but I'll I- tell you this, if, if Carlos wins Australia, it's just shocking to everybody that he will have won three slams and the one slam he hasn't won is is Roland Garris. You remember Andre Agassi? He was great. He made the semis of the French in 88 and in, in 90 he makes the finals. And and fr- French Open, he didn't win it till his last until one in uh, 19. What was it? What year was 99, that? 1999, right? That was the no, that was the it, last one of his career slam to win it. Yeah. So. Carlos, listen, he was in the quarters, he lost his air of a year ago. He's in the semis this year, played very well, and then Got full body cramps against Novak at a set all. It'll happen for him. He'll he'll get on the board at Royal. I wouldn't worry too much about that. But winning all four in a year at his age, I don't know. I, I just I 
give him a little more time if, if before he's ready to do something like that. But I, I'm with you. I don't think I don't think either of them will do it in the next years. But it was interesting comparison because I think Novak had the prime opportunity in 2021, and then he set himself up perfectly this year. And that's got to be like you said. You know, it's just got to be terribly disappointing to him knowing that it's going to be really difficult the next two years. Well, because he's he's established a rep, a well-deserved reputation as the greatest clutch player in tennis. And, and it, it's always been one of the secrets to success is how he plays under pressure. So for him to lose in that fashion, to lose the second set on a bad error on a set point, and then to make another flagrant mistake with a break point for two love in the fifth, those two, they, it irks him no end. He, he can accept somebody making great shots on the break points and beating him with winners or just forced errors, but not, not that. Right. So I, I, but I, do we're just not, we're, he's not accustomed to it. And we're not accustomed to seeing him play those critical points and just missing a neutral ball rally. He just, he just doesn't do that. No, he doesn't do it. And he knew at that moment, how important that he knew how hard he'd work for that set for an hour and a half. And, and what a difference it was going to make between winning and losing it and how it was going to really break, be backbreaking for Carlos. Not that Carlos was going to quit, but, but to be down. And as you say, Carlos acknowledged that if he'd gone down two sets, it would have been a long road back. Let me ask so, you from your perspective, because again, you were there. After the first set, did you, I know you didn't think it was over, but did you feel in the on the court, in the atmosphere that people are like, oh boy, this may be, this may be quick. This may be a route by Novak. And then I'll ask you after the second set, was it just electric that everybody knew that now we have a match? Yeah, no, it was, it was. And but then you quickly saw how the third set unfolded. I think that was, nobody was expecting that set to be so decisive for Carlos. It, it, I, I thought going into it, it would probably be a close set, but, but yes, the, the, I don't think sitting in the press row that Pete and any of us who have watched Carlos, we're, we're, gonna, we're saying, oh, no, this is over. And also, how many, I've seen too many matches where if somebody wins a, a top player against another top player, wins a six-love or six-one set, either way, and it's that easy, it's all, it can be, it, it can weigh on the mind because you, you're wondering whether you can keep, sustain that level, and then you know the other guy's going to lift his game, which is exactly what happened. But despite all that, despite going down the break, Joe gets, he gets the break back, and goes to the tiebreak and has that that chance so I think yeah he was I think he was devastated by that there's no, no doubt about it but but I, I do think he'll get over this David I think he'll he's he's mature enough and be at 30 60 and and that philosophical comedy made about even Steven and then and you know I I, I somehow won the Roger match in 19 is it's very healthy outlook to say okay these things happen in life and sometimes you know you you do things that that are harmful to yourself that you never expect you could have done, but you have to move past it. And you still know that that's uncharacteristic of you. If he lost, if this happened to him two or three more times in the next year, I think he'd be deeply concerned. Yes. And, and give credit to Carlos because he didn't tell us specifically what he did differently, but he prepared mentally way different from this match in Roland Garros. Again, he didn't tell us specifically what he did, but credit to him and his team, for handling the situation um, better than they did in Roland Garros, because you know more than anyone, definitely more than me, Steve, um, 
going out Wimbledon, you the the aura, it's so quiet. It's there's plenty of pride. I mean, it is the grandest stage there is in tennis. It's not easy. Your nerves are going crazy. And whatever that he did and his team did, um, full credit to to Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah, now the other thing to keep in mind is that in his career, David, Djokovic has won, uh, when he's won the first set of any match, best of three or five, his record is 925 wins, 41. This was the 41st defeat. You know, and he's only lost a few Grand Slam finals after winning the first set to a couple to Babrinka and one to Nadal, uh, two to Babrinka at the French and U.S. Opens and to Rafa at the French as well. It's rare in Grand Slam finals that he wins the first set and loses the match. And it's just rare, period, to stop this guy. And so that's more what I was thinking about after the first set, frankly. was like, I'm thinking, oh, boy, you know, he, this is just what he wanted. He's got the first set. He's and got we it. always say you lose the first set, you got to win three of the next four against the likes yeah. of a Novak Djokovic. That's yeah. just, that's a lot of work that's got to be done to win this yeah. match. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely was. But I, 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 I uh, listen, it was a, it was a memorable, hard fought, uh, first rate contest. Uh, you, we, you and I were talking off air, we might say, and I would just say this. No, I do not put it up there with Federer Nadal 08, the epic that Rafa won on the edge of darkness, nine, seven, and the fifth after winning the first two sets and dropping the next two in tie breaks. I don't put it up there with better erotic, which was 16, 14 in the fifth and an excellent contest the, the, the following year or Borg McEnroe in 80 uh, or, the, or any of these other Wimbledon epics. But I do say it's, it was a great final. It was a great the final. The competitiveness of the final was there. The highest of quality, the highest of highest quality. I agree with you. I don't think it was at the, the matches that you're referring no, to. No, not consistently. Not consistently because Carlos's level was not, Novak's was in the first set, but Carlos's wasn't. Carlos's level was quite high in the third. Novak's was not. Djokovic played a nice solid fourth. Carlos looked like he was wielding. So they both played what I would say is they both played really well at the same time in the second and fifth sets. The second and fifth sets stand out to me in different ways because we, we saw them both pushing hard and reaching a high level at pretty much the same time. And that's why he had a tiebreaker in the second. And that's why the fifth was hanging in the balance. And that it just came down to that one crucial break that Carlos got after Novak squandered his opportunity. But yeah, the, the level set in, set out, it, it, that, that fluctuated some. But, boy, the fans certainly got their money's worth. And it, it, it makes the mouth water to think what these guys could do if they did, did meet in the U.S. Open final and then hopefully again in Australia at the start of next year. A hundred percent. That would be something. I think everybody's hoping for that, and especially the, the, the one coming up in New York. Okay, let's move on to the day before women's final. And I said at the beginning, disheartening, and I know this is going to sound biased. And and uh, look, I'll say it up front. And, you know, you can balance whatever I say out, Steve. Please feel free. But I, I was hoping, and a lot of tennis fans were hoping, that Ange DeBoer would win her first slam. This was her third slam, um, second at Wimbledon. It was an interesting final. I, it, it was, it was kind of weird. You know, this was the first one where she was heavily favored. And... She's playing Marketa Vondrasova, and we'll talk about Anza's draw leading up to it. She had beaten Bianca Andreescu, Petra Kvitova. She beat the defending Wimbledon champ, Rabakina, and the Sabalenka. Those are four players who have won slams leading up to the final. Here she is heavily favored, and she comes out in the first set, Steve, up 2-0. 
She has chances in the next two games to go up 4-0. I'm thinking she should be up 4-0. It's not. It's 2-2. And I'm like, eh. She then writes the ship. She's now up 4-2. And then again, 4-4, Stephen. Now I'm thinking to myself, okay, she's had two opportunities to blow this set wide open. And she hasn't. And Marketa Vondrasova gets one opportunity. What does she do? She capitalizes it and wins the first set. Six four. David, Andrasova, just, just a quick interjection. It was also sixteen of eighteen points for that that she won after Ange led four two. So it was clearly a collapse there. That it, an incredibly one sided in those four games. Fifteen unforced errors from Ange in that first set, Steve. Second set, Vondrasova keeps the keeps her game rolling. She's up a break at one zero, serving forty loves. Steve, Ange yeah. fights. Breaks her, then holds, then breaks her again, 3-1. We're like, okay, let's see what happens here. She's given her chance. Anza's had chances in both sets here. Vondrasova breaks her back, holds 3-3, 4-4. Gets to 4-4. Vondrasova breaks Anza, go 5-4, serves it out. 35 unforced errors for Anza. Two sets, not three sets. 35 unforced errors, Steve. Um. I want to ask you from from An's perspective, was it was it the pressure? We know she's representing her country and all that, and, and we all love An's. We do. Was was it the pressure? The final was there some wear and tear of the four past Slam champions that I listed previously? Um, I don't know what what you see from it, David. I honestly don't think it was the accumulation of the of the the four great wins. I think it was much more about not wanting to let her country down, knowing knowing what the the consequences would be if she could win, the positive impact it could have on, on her part of the world and wanting it so badly, wanting to feel like, okay, this is my third Grand Slam final. I lost to Rabakana a year ago. It was slightly unexpected, but she served really well. I lost to the best player in the world, Iga Swiatek at the U.S. Open. I can't apologize for that. But she figures this one, even though she'd lost to this player the last couple of times, she still felt, I have to be able to beat her. And, and she didn't mean that with any personal disrespect, but it was just a matchup that she liked on that court. And she just, she, she, she emotionally, she just broke down. So I, I so tight, Steve, right? You could see yeah. her playing. She was so tight. Did you feel like how I felt when in the first set when she was up 2-0, then it got 2-2, then it was 4-2, yes. like... Did yeah. you think she was she was right in the ship and she was going to win that first set? Yeah, I hated the way she threw it away to the two love game because it was a chance to really get moving. But then when it she went four zero, Steve, she had game yeah. points and break points. It should have been four zero. Yeah, and I thought she won't squand. I, I yeah, but I, you're right. It could well have been four love, but I didn't worry about that. When she got to four two, I thought, okay, she's going to close it here. Yes, she had an early chance. Now she's built the advantage again. She'll get this done. And uh, it's bewildering to me because it was tough to watch, Steve. It was tough to watch. Very hard to watch. You know, she, you just see her almost cramping up. She couldn't follow through sometimes on her shots. She just would stop. So tight. And it was like, like she was watching herself in some kind of a freeze frame. It was awful. It was awful to sit there and observe all this and know that she was not doing herself justice. And, and with all due respect to, to Marquetta, I, I, as great as she was, and 
as well as she played through, throughout the tournament and the number of good wins that she had, I, I don't think she's going to replicate this. I think she's the kind of player that's going to go deep into other slams, but I don't see her winning one again. And going, going into this match, Steve, I also said Anz was going to control the outcome of this match. And what I mean yeah. by that is she yeah. is either going to win this match on her terms or lose this match on her yeah. terms. And unfortunately, the, the air just crept up. She couldn't loosen up the shoulders. She couldn't let it fly. Um, I mean, credit to Marquetta, right? You, you get a player that gives you opportunity and opportunity. You have to take advantage, which she did. Um, I know Anz talked about talking to Kim Kleisters after the match. Kim lost, what, her first three or first four, she clarified. Um, Anz will win one and how sweet it will be when she does win one. But she said this was the most painful. This, this is so far the most painful loss of her career. Based on what you said, you know, being the heavy favorite, she felt going in, she was going to win this match. And it's in any sport, it's so hard to get to the final, to the championship game, whatever sport there is. If you're going to lose, you at least want to let it, you want to lose playing your A game, letting it fly. To get to the final, especially in Anz's case, to beat those four champions on her way there and to play not even close to your potential that has to be devastating. Again, if you play great and you lose, you can kind of live with that. But to go to bed at night saying, you know what? I was a shell of myself. That's tough to do in a championship in any sport. Yeah, and she didn't have to feel that way about either of the previous two grand Correct, stands. correct. Played a pretty decent Wimbledon final and not badly against Iga at the Open. I will say this, David. I, yes, she's going to get more opportunities. I share your view that she surely will get on the board someday, but I don't think you're going to see her get the number of opportunities that Kim Kleisters did. I honestly, I think she's, it's a smaller window and I sure hope that when she plays Grand Slam final number four, whenever that is, that she can get it done there and get the monkey off her back. We also know that Andy Murray and his coach, Yvonne Lendl lost their first four Grand Slam finals and Andy turned it around and, Ended up winning a U.S. Open and two Wimbledons for three majors. Yvonne turned it around and won eight majors. So it can be done. But I, I worry that with the competition that Ons is going to confront, the number of top players, and look how hard it was to get to this final. I mean, in the semifinals against Sabalenka, she was down to set and four, two. Yep. Sabalenka had not lost her serve. And Ons did a, a, a terrific job of turning that around and winning in three sets. She lost the first set in a few of her matches. In her, in her yeah, life. exactly. And she will... Yes, the opportunities will be there, but I don't think there's gonna they're gonna be uh, I, that numerous. So I just hope the next two or three that come along that she she pounces. Yeah, and and Steve, you know, to reflect on some of the Americans that played, we had we had hit on Chris Eubanks on the previous uh, previous episode. I mean, to take to take you know he beat Sitsipas to take Medvedev to five sets. Incredible two weeks for uh, you know incredible two weeks event for him. Also. Girl, we both girl, we both have talked about we like her game. Jessica Pagula. She played Marquetta. She was up one point away from being up five one in the third set, Steve. She missed a golden opportunity of achieving her first semi in a slam. And she had won the second set six two. So she had won 10 out of 13 games. She was on a tear. And yeah, that was very unfortunate that she couldn't quite close it out. And who knows what would have happened to her. She might have ended up in the finals. We'll never know. But yes, it was it was poignant and painful to watch Anstjabor lose that final. That's the bottom line for me. And 
she's so popular worldwide. She's so well-liked among her fellow players. And the sport has grown to love her. The general public is well aware of her now in a way that they really weren't prior to Wimbledon last year. Now they, they're very familiar with Jabora, but it just was, I, I hated sitting there observing this contest because I, I, I knew she was not coming close to doing herself justice. That's hard. It's hard. All right. We, I know we spent most of our time, obviously on the finals, you were there the whole week, Steve. Um, the feelings on the grounds there, anything that really stood out to you that we have not talked about before we wrap this up? Um, I mean, again, you were there from when you started there on Sunday, you yes. went on Saturday, you were there from yeah. Sunday to Sunday. So seven yeah. days. No, I think, I mean, for one thing, usually we get over the course of the two weeks, there's at least one week of pretty hot weather. It didn't really happen this time. It was probably a little warmer the first week before I got there. Then there was the kind of constant decision-making that went back to the first day when Djokovic came out for his first round match and what should have been a 15-minute delay to put up the roof turned into about an hour and a half. And I think that concerned the Wimbledon officials enough that they were making choices. They were trying to head things off. And if they got a weather report that uh, there was rain coming at 4 o'clock and the match was starting at 3, they just didn't mess with it. And they put the roof up. And so that just brings me to the final. It was still pretty windy. We didn't talk about the wind. We didn't. Djokovic. And I think that may have affected why some of the quality may not have been to some oh, of those did. other matches that you referred to. It did, because you can see Djokovic especially. I mean, it, it affected Carlos off the ground, and it, it affected Novak more with his service toss. So you could see that, and it would come and go. It would diminish and then pick up again. So I... I, I and they did have a little bit of a shower, a brief shower about an hour before the final. I thought they were maybe going to just say, you know what, we're putting the roof up. And my feeling is I have friends who disagree, but I, my feeling is just do it. Uh, I mean, the, the higher the quality of the tennis, the better. If you had the roof up in the men's final, the level would have been even higher for both players, both players. So I just feel like, no, don't worry about the fact that it's technically an outdoor tournament. If there's a reason to use the roof for more than rain and use it for heat or wind, go ahead. That's my belief. Yeah, that's interesting perspective. Well, well, this was fun. I know you're tired. You're dealing with jet lag right now. You just got off the plane. <laughs> I appreciate you doing this. I'm glad you had another great week there. Again, you were there Sunday to Sunday. Uh, what is that? Eight days. I think I said seven. That's really eight full days. Yeah, yeah. Um, glad you were able to attend. I know we got Newport going right now. A tournament said near and dear to your art. That's where you were inducted in the Hall of Fame back in 2017. And then after Newport, um, we start the summer hardcore swing. And I mean, New York, there's even though Novak won't be going for the calendar slam, you know, he will be determined. I think a lot of people would be, love to see a rematch of the Wimbledon final on a Sunday in New York. You're also going to see Anz Jabor, see how she reacts to the disappointment of Wimbledon, see how far she can go to New York. And again, you got the, the, the other, the other, the, the, the big three on the women's side, right? Iga Sviatek, uh, Sabalenka, Rabakina, they're all going to be itching to get far in that. And again, someone like Jessica Pagula, who we know she's going to get to the semis. Eventually she missed a golden opportunity in this tournament. She's going to be eager to do really well in her home country slam. Yeah, I, I'm with you across the board on everything you said. I just want to add that if you look back to last year, Djokovic 
uh, who of course couldn't play the U.S. Open, did win Wimbledon. Carlos wins the Open. Carlos can't play Australia. Novak wins it. They meet in the semis of the French. It would have been better if they were in opposite halves. But Novak wins the French. Carlos comes back and wins Wimbledon. They clearly have emerged as the, without any doubt, as the two top players in the world. So to me, there's a reasonably good chance, given their respective levels, that they will meet in New York in the finals and end the Grand Slam season in style. And tennis fans would all love to see this that that match once again. One would be a great rematch of just what occurred. Shoot around, I don't know, thirty hours ago. So, with that <laughs> said, Steve, get some rest. Thank you again for 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 doing this. And uh, uh, tennis never sleeps. Newport, and then with the hardcore season. So. Oh yeah, and I'll be in Newport. By the way, I'm going back up to see the ceremonies and watch some of the tennis as well. I, I love doing that every year. So. Uh, that that's a that's a fun weekend, you know, and and, and it's a, it's the Ameri- it's the American grassroots event. Absolutely. Thanks again, Steve. Thank you, David. <laughs>